Let's read and let's consider our own lives as we read this passage this morning. Revelation chapter 11. Then I was given a rod, a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise, John, measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. 1,260 days closed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the, before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth. Could you imagine? And devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to... Uh, Harm them in this matter, they shall be killed. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, don't miss it. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them. And overcome them and kill them. The world's going to rejoice. But God. Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. And Lord, we ask that your word would find good soil within each one of our hearts. Lord, that your word would impact our lives. Lord, that we would literally be changed people. As we allow your word to cycle in and take, down, take deep root within each one of our lives. Lord, bless, please, our study this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, as I was working this through, and obviously I started reading the New Testament again, and so I came across the parable of the soils, and that's not for salvation. That's for how you and I read the Bible every time, or how you and I hear the Word of God every time. Because see, there's four different types of soils that our hearts could potentially have. There's the Hard heart, which is a person that doesn't want to understand. I don't think that's any of you unless you got drug here or you got deceived here. So I don't think that's it. There's the rocky soil, which is one who's disobedient to the Word of God. It just, you know, just, they hear it, they go, ooh, really good, but they have no desire to do it. I don't think there's that. I, don't, I hope that's not us. But there's that thorny soil. That thorny soil is the person that's caught up with the cares and the concerns of this life. Or the deceitfulness of riches, whether it be a dollar or thousands. I can't help you with that. But I can help you with the, caught up with the cares and the concerns of this world. I mean, this morning you woke up, you started thinking about all this stuff you got to do. Listen, if, you, if that's still going on in your heart, A, you might as well go home and do that stuff. Or B, write it down because that stuff and God's word will choke God's word out from taking root in your life. The Bible's on record. It's going to produce fruit in our lives 30, 60, 100 fold if the heart is of good soil. So, you know, if you got all those things, pull out your phone, put them in a notepad. See, I can be reading my Bible and I can be building a project or doing something and be two chapters down the road reading it, going, What did I just read? I know those passages. I didn't read that. And then I realized, Oh man, I was thinking about something while I was reading. So, trust me. If we want to see God grow us and mature us, we've got to set all that stuff aside. During this seven-year tribulation on this earth, many different events will be going on simultaneously at the same time. 
In this chapter, we're introduced to two witnesses, and no doubt some of the greatest evangelism by them, as well as the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, as well as the, hev- the angels that fly through heaven take place, there'll be a massive evangelism. But I hope we all know that witnessing to, to others, it's not what you do, it's who you are. These are the two witnesses. They're going to give testimony But Christian, a witness is what you are. It's embred in us. It's our way of living. It's not something you do. I want you to think about that as we travel through this chapter. Witnessing to others is not what you do. It's something that you are. We're going to think about it all the way through, and then we're going to be reminded of it at the very end, and especially when we partake of communion. Witnessing to others is not what you do. It's who you are. But before we get there, John has a job to do. We see it right here in verse 1. Then John was given a reed like a measuring rod. And what do you do with a tape measure? You measure. measure. So he's going to measure things up here. And the angel stood saying, rise, John, take measurement and measure the temple of God. Probably the temple that's being rebuilt or that's rebuilt during the final seven years as the Jews uh, come back and realize that, wow, we got a temple. The Antichrist helps them build a temple. Probably that temple. Measure up the altar. God, it's your altar. You, You gave them the dimensions. See, there's something going on here. Measure up the altar. And measure up those who worship there. It's interesting to me that John is told to measure up the place. John, will you measure up the place? Hey, John, will you measure up the service? Because that's what you did at the altar. And John, can you measure up the worship that goes on there? We see Jesus doing that same thing in the Gospels. Both Mark and Luke record, about, record it. Jesus is in the temple observing the worship that's going on, and he watched how, not what. He watched how people put money into the treasury. If you're familiar with the passage, Jesus measured up how they worship, just like he does today. You see, our Lord God is fully aware of our attitudes as well as our activities all at the same time. So for your own study, because there's lots of times in the place in in the Bible where things are measured, Ezekiel 4, Daniel 9, Zechariah 2, Revelation chapter 21. And so even though there's some disagreement over exactly what temple John is measuring here, hey, as we're working our way through the seven-year trial of tribulation on this earth, we're going to point this temple to the one that the Antichrist helps the Jews build. You know, I I know Christians get excited when they hear about red heifers and a temple being built or, hey, we're going to lay the cornerstone. I've been one of those before. The Temple Institute in Jerusalem has done a good job pushing their propaganda. So I've been one of those excited Christians. Wow, hey, hey, we got this. But please understand, the premise behind building a temple, it's not God's plan at all. Jesus is God's plan, not a Jewish temple. Also, please know that less than 5% of Jewish people today, they could care less about a temple being built. Only 5% do. 
Most believers believe that the temple's built by the Antichrist. Nothing good there. Jesus said in John 5.43, I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So it seems Christians get more excited about the temple built by the Antichrist than the Jewish people today. And that excitement, I, I get that. It's good if it causes me to be that living witness for Christ. It's critical. Those things, if they're causing me to impact people's lives wherever I go by how I live my life, well, that's great. Please remember, witnessing to others is not what you do. It's something that you are Christian with God's Spirit in you. You know, if a red heifer, heifer in the Temple Institute does not stir that up in me and change me and get me all excited, then I'm being lulled to sleep at best. I'm being played at worst. Because God's not into this temple. In his economy, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. We see that in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So if, this, but, so if this stuff excites you, great. Make sure it lays out in your life that way. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. Why, God? For it has been given to the Gentiles. <laughs> God gives us the answer here. Yeah, but isn't there a better answer? No, I think that's good. God gives us an answer. Because it's been given to the Gentiles, and they, the Gentiles, would tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. In a Jewish calendar, 360 days, that's three and a half years. Now, if this is the temple that Daniel writes of in Daniel chapter 9, the temple that the Antichrist helps the Jews build in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, then that's pretty wild. The, the Jews could have read about that. But then in the last three and a half years, the Antichrist goes into the temple and he wants to be worshipped. The Gentiles right here are led by the Antichrist will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So, well, how's that possible? Well, for the first three and a half years, Jerusalem will be hammered. Or sorry, for three and a half years, Jerusalem will be hammered. And, and so this is probably the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribute. Elation period. The first three and a half years, the Antichrist will give peace to Israel. Get that temple built. But the Jews are suckered by the Antichrist. And if he helps them build that temple, as he demands that worship, the, the Jews should have been reading the Old Testament. It's already been written. And then Jerusalem is slammed after that. Jesus speaks of what Daniel wrote in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. So when you see the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist going in and declaring and demanding to be worshipped, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, the Antichrist in the Holy of Holies, then let the reader understand, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains as the Antichrist makes war against God's people. I think that's what's going on here. And God tells John, hey, measure those things up. Verse 3, we're taking radically shifting gears to these two witnesses. Please notice here. And I will give power to my two witnesses. This is what we're going to focus on our whole time here. So this is some crazy God power. They will hold their own with this power for three and a half years against people who want to try and kill them. They don't have any friends. At least not that we know. Probably the 144,000 are their friends because nobody can kill them either. But please don't miss who's in charge here in these end time events. 
Look what it says, first three words. I will give. And not just give, I will give power. Wow, didn't he give the early church power too? Oh yeah, he did. Jesus said, hey look, stay in Jerusalem and, and wait until you are endued with the dunamis power of God. So follow with me. The early church started with, hey, don't go do anything until you're, you're filled with that power. The two witnesses at the end, God gives them the power. Hey, that's us in the middle team. We need that power. God says, I will give them power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, closed in sackcloth, or three and a half years. Now, that would be the front half of the seven-year period or the back half. Good Bible commentators are not in agreement here. I always thought it was the front half. Some guys going, that's the back half. So I don't know. What they do agree on is that these are two very real men. No allegory, no symbolism here. And please notice their activity, church. They are going to speak forth God's truth and show God's power through the works that they do. And yet at the same time, these two men are nothing other than agents of mercy to a world that has rejected Jesus because they're going to speak forth truth, because they're going to hope that even though these people have rejected Jesus, they're going to hope that they will turn to him. Because why? Because that's God's heart. It's very similar to what Jesus has called his church to be about today. I hope you and I see ourselves as agents of mercy. See, as we go through this, we see what awaits them. Wow, we could be like these two witnesses. You know, we, we, we get to live it. And then we get to testify of it. But we got to live it. We know how things are going to turn out. Notice they're wearing the latest in designer clothing, sackcloth. Anybody have theirs on today? <laughs> sackcloth was something that the prophets of the Old Testament would wear when they would proclaim a pending judgment. But it wasn't because they were mean. No, but they would wear this sackcloth and they would lament and they would mourn when they wore this sackcloth as they were announcing the pending judgment of God. They weren't like Jonah, 40 days and you're dead. No, they wore sackcloth. I know God's not stoked about bringing his judgment on a Christ-rejecting world because God is a God of love. He's always a God of love. That's all God is. But for a God of love to be righteous and holy after he sent his only son to die in our place, and you reject that, he has to act. But he's acting, I believe, out of heartache here. I don't think he's looking forward to destroying the world. Ezekiel recorded the Lord God saying this, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And that's why God has these two witnesses in the last days. That's why he has 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. That's why he has the angel flying through heaven. He wants man to turn from his wicked way and live. Remember when Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem for the final time? We saw him weeping over the city as he rides in on a donkey. We read, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Not because they were going to reject him, no, but because of what was going to happen to them because of that rejection. And he wept over it saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the, the thing that makes for your peace, 
Then Jesus goes on to speak about the destruction that the city would face, and it did. In 70 AD, Roman general Titus Vespasian leveled the place. But Jesus was crying about it. God is heartbroken over the fact that his creation has rejected him as a loving father. But he and his justice he must judge those who rejected his son for his son's sake. The provision is there today. You could turn to Jesus and allow him to be your Lord and Savior. But if mankind in his stubbornness fails to comprehend that, hey, they're going to trip on and trip over Jesus all the way to judgment day. But not God's choice, their choice. You know, as we look at these two witnesses here, the big question from verse 3 is, who are they? Who are these two witnesses that have this crazy power? doesn't say. <laughs> the Bible records for us that there's only two people that have never seen a physical death, Elijah and Enoch. Elijah was swept away by a whirlwind and was seen no more. Second Kings chapter 2 tells us that. Enoch's account is found in Genesis 5, and it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. But there's other options. There's a long list. John the Baptist, the Apostle John, a living believer, could be Zechariah. On the short list, though, Enoch, Elijah, and Moses. We read in Jude chapter 9 where the devil's fighting Michael the archangel for the dead body of Moses, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed over the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So why does the devil want the body of Moses? I, I don't know, but it's interesting, isn't it? Most are settled with Elijah as one of the witnesses, and they base their views upon the scripture found in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, where it says, Behold, in the last days I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. But he doesn't have to be the witness. He could come just before Jesus comes back. See, there's a lot of things we don't really need to know, but we just need to believe what's here. I don't think we can understand it all. I mean, I think if the, like I said, if the Lord wanted to know, he would have told us. But maybe he already did tell us. And he doesn't need to tell us again. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I'll write about this. And behold, two men talked with Jesus on the mountain who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah show up and, you know, and Peter and the boys hit the dirt and, hey, and they wake up, you know, they finally come to and come about to themselves. Hey, Lord, we could stay here all, let's live here forever. We could build three shelters. You know, it's funny he didn't say four, right? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for us three. But it's only three. So maybe God already told us who's coming back. I don't know. If you look at the works that these witnesses do, and you're going to notice that which Moses has already done on this earth. Plagues, water to blood. Elijah calling down fire on the king's north soldiers. Not out of his mouth, but still he calls down fire. So you have the law, who is Moses? And you have the prophet, who is Elijah, testifying for the Lord God Almighty. They fit pretty good, but still nobody really knows. You can have your two, I can have my two, we'll probably both still be wrong. I remember the first time I read this. 
It was either in December of 83 or January of 84. I, was, I read through my New Testament once a month. And I remember the first time I read this, I thought, wow, two witnesses living and dying for Jesus. I remember going, and I was honest and sincere, Lord, I'll do this if you need somebody to do that. I'm not sure I'd say that today, but <laughs> plus I'm married, so I can't, it can't be me. At different times in my life, I've sided with different players here. But today, I don't have a side. Maybe you do. That's okay. Look at verse 4. These two witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. The olive trees will empower these two lampstands. We see that in Zechariah chapter 4, where the olive trees are, and the pipes come out, and they feel these lampstands, and they're just continually burning without any human effort. That's how God wants to empower us. God wants to be that continual supply of oil slash power in our lives to give us the power to live as his witnesses in these last days. If you look in Zechariah chapter 4, you find those awesome words, not by might nor by power, but by thy spirit, says the Lord. And that spirit coming upon us is what gives us the power if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I did not ask for the Holy Spirit at salvation. I asked for forgiveness. But as a Christian, I can ask. The dunamis power of God that Jesus promised the early church that's going to be given to these two witnesses at the end of the age, church. We can ask. And that's how these two witnesses will minister team faithful amongst a world that hates them but they are filled with the power of God man it's critical for us to be like that in these last days we live in filled with the same power I mean just think with me collectively if all of us denied ourselves and asked for and received that continual power and stood up and spoke and lived the truth what would happen to this part of the world it would be changed. It would be. It's possible. It could happen. But it'll never happen apart from God's power coming upon me and changing my life. It'll never happen until we hate the sin and the injustices in this world and in our lives. We'll never ask. We'll just kind of coast and go along the ride with others. But God doesn't want us to coast. God wants us to make impact. God wants us to impact this world as the, the salt and the light. God has his witnesses here, but he has his witnesses in us. He does. His light testifying to a world at this point in time. God's trying to turn the hearts of men back to God, just like he, he does through us. Now, in verse 5, if you tend to worry, please don't miss this. If you're anxious, if you're concerned all the time, the Bible says don't be anxious. Pray and let God rule over those things. If anyone wants to harm them, see they have a hedge about them just like Job and no one can touch them. Great picture here. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. Like I said, Elijah does, did that earlier. In 2 Kings 1, 
And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this power. You know, can you picture these two witnesses? They're out testifying and proclaiming God's truth. And someone says, hey, hey, hey I'm against you. Or going to do something to him. And, and they're just like dust in the wind. <laughs> or something like that. I mean, it's crazy, crazy stuff here. But that's God's power. Thieves have power to shut heaven. We read about Elijah doing that in James chapter 5, so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as often as they desire. Moses, Exodus chapter 7, verse 12. That's why they, a lot of people, not most people, a lot of people believe that's who they are. But we don't know. So they have power to bring distress and drought, two tools to get people's attention to turn to Jesus. It's interesting, the things that these two men do are very similar from what we've read about in the earlier chapters. When they finish their testimony, will you underline that? When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. You got to underline that. When they finish their testimony, when their mission is accomplished, when they are all done on this earth, they're taken home. But until they've run the course that's set before them, until you and I have run the course that's set before us, as I look at this and make this applicable to my own life, team, we're indestructible. Now, that doesn't mean we go jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Jesus says, hey, no, it's written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Or go jump out in front of the semis on I-45. But even though God would know that, even if we did that. Team, we're indestructible. Once their ministry is over, God takes them home. I mean, why stay? All these people hate them. But it's over and God takes them home. Please notice, God who is controlling all the plays of the game here. You know, don't let the enemy or your flesh convince you God's not in control. Oh no, God's in total control. Even when it's, tell the person beside you, God's in total control. Tell him. He's always in total control. That's why the Bible tells us not to worry. Your father is the, father is the sovereign Lord who rules and reigns over the universe, church. I mean, just think about that word father. Our father who art in heaven. I mean, think about what that, that relationship implies by that very word. Well, I'm his child. You're his child. Just like these two in chapter 11. And think of the benefits that come with that special relationship. Same thing we see here. No one or nothing is going to stop me from doing God's work on this earth except God himself. That's why we can rest in the details of life because I know my father is way more concerned over those details of my life than I ever could be. And if my God's concerned over all those details of life and he is team, then I need to trust him with them and learn to enjoy the ride that he set before me and not worry about them or worse yet, seek to take control. And a lot of times that's what people do and that's why they worry. They seek to take control. I can see why I, I would worry about things in my life if I'm seeking to take control rather than as a child going for the ride. See, if 
You want to worry about something? Then you should worry about doing all that God's called you to do and live. But worry about day-to-day stuff? Mm, Nothing good there. We read here they finished their testimony. That is what a witness from verse 3 that God does as he empowers. They finish, and they finish well. He gives testimony to the awesome truth of God until he's called home. In any and all situations. When they finish their testimony, please, it's so important we understand this. When they finish telling people that God is judging them for their wickedness, and yet there's still time to turn to Jesus if they will but repent, the beast that descends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom. We all know what comes to mind when we hear the word Sodom. So open immorality in Jerusalem and Egypt. Think about Egypt. Bondage, slavery to the various vices of the world people can become enslaved to. Where exactly is is this place? Hey, it's almost like an open book test. Where also our Lord was crucified. So we know the place is Jerusalem. There's no confusion here. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in their graves. Man, there's a lot of stuff happening right here. They finish their testimony. Then the beast that descends out of the bottomless pit. Well, the beast is the Antichrist. Well, good Bible commentators, some say, no, it's the devil. Remember the devil came out of the bottomless pit in previous chapters? Yeah, it's true. So even good Bible teachers can't agree here. So who is it? I don't know. Let's just call it the Antichrist, and he kills them. But not until they finish their work for Jesus' team. See, you and I doing God's work, his way, as we walk in his will, we're untouchable. Even if it's, well, we're in a place that's very sketchy, and we lean a little stick up, like, to warn us before someone comes in to behead us. (laughs) Oh, whoever laughed knows the story. (laughs) Nothing's going to happen to us. But when our mission is up, why hang out on the training ground when you can hang out with your master in heaven? I mean, think with me here. Why do they want their dead bodies to lie in the street? They do. It says right here, they lie in the street. Why don't they allow them to be put in the grave? I think the easy answer is for maximum shame and disgrace. You know, just leave them out there. That's public humiliation even after they're dead. But is there a greater answer as to why leave the bodies out? Remember the last time the devil allowed someone mightier in deeds and actions to be placed in the grave? What happened to him? He lost them, right? He lost them. Man, Jesus blew out of that grave. And the devil's plan backfired. This time around, maybe he's not taking any chances. He's going to keep those dead bodies right out there where everybody can see him so nobody can do anything to him. But see, he's failing to realize the power of God here. And I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is beyond human and demonic understanding and reasoning. Amen? Notice how many people are going to be able to view these dead bodies? Look what it says. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations 
will see their dead bodies. Church, 40 years ago, this was impossible. Tell the person beside you. It was impossible. It was impossible. It couldn't have happened. 40 years ago, not going to happen. Probably 30 years ago, not going to happen. But today in our day and age, with Israel back in the land, that had never happened before until 1948. We've developed nuclear weapons. We can destroy the world multiple times over. There's so many things that set us apart from every other generation. Man, with satellite and cell phones everywhere. The first time we went to South Sudan, one cell phone. Second time, a couple. Third time, three or four. Fourth time, wow, a lot more. Fifth time, everybody had a cell phone. I don't know, maybe those free Obama phones got sent over to Sudan. I don't really know. But everyone had a cell phone. Danny and uh, Claudia went to Brazil. I asked her, hey, does everyone have a cell phone there? Yeah, Philippines, everyone has a cell phone. Today in our day and age, because of the technology, every person left alive on this planet, look what it says, will be able to view the dead bodies of the two that have been bringing hell on earth. But not just view it. You're going to be able to see it in 4K, 1080, HDR, 3D if you want, vivid color. That only means something to Corbin, unless you have an expensive TV. Interesting side note here. The news agencies will still be in operation during the tribulation period. Get it? might want to consider that when you watch the extremely biased news that is selected personally for you each day. I hope you get news outside of just what you see on TV. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets who tormented those who dwell on the earth, that's how they see it. They told them the truth. But these two prophets who tormented those who uh, dwell on the earth, it's going to be Happy Dead Prophets Day or Satanic Christmas. Take your pick. I, I think that's how some people feel today. Man, if we could get rid of Jesus and, you know, they're tormenting us. If we get rid of those God people and those Jesus people, they're always telling us Jesus is the only way. If we could get rid of all those people, man, we could really rejoice. That's how it is then. I think it is that way today. If the world could do away with Jesus today, they could have the party of all parties. But what happens with every party? It ends. It has to come to an end. Please notice that God has set the parameters for all of this to take place there. It's important for us to see that. God's the one in charge when they could not touch them for three and a half years. God is still in charge three and a half days later as he brings them back to life. Check out verse 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and these two witnesses stood on their feet and great fear. Yeah, I bet it was. Fell on those who saw them. So they're partying, right? They're giving gifts. How many people do you think dropped their glasses as they saw them rise up? I guarantee you there was many of them. I mean, they're viewing this live video stream from Jerusalem. You know they are. I mean, in the, in the last few hurricanes, you can, they set up all these cameras all around the city on the beach and in downtown. The last one that hit here, I don't think it was Harvey, maybe it was. You know, they had uh, ones on the beach, had them by downtown. And you can see everything in real time. 
There is no doubt there is a live stream from Jerusalem as they're all watching this whole thing take down, go down. You know, they're all partying away. The devil thinks he's the champion, but he's failing to realize he's a chump. The news stations that are fully functioning, you know, they're so excited because they got their live feeds in. But then all of a sudden, cut the cameras, kill the feeds, go to commercial because they don't want anybody to see it as they watch these two guys come back to life. How many people went from drunken revelry and watching the images and throwing stones at dead bodies to immediate soberness? Think about it. Any gift that was, because it says they gave presents, so any gift that was in the process of being given, I guarantee it dropped as these two people came back to life. Had, has to be the, one of the most shocking things ever. I'm sure it's the most shocking thing they've ever seen in their life. And great fear fell on those when they came back to life. Great fear is megas phobies, is the Greek word for great fear. Huge phobia would be our English equivalent. Not just little fears, massive fears. The same word, megaphobias, the same word is used by the seasoned fishermen when they thought they saw a ghost when they were in the boat and Jesus was walking on the water to them. Megaphobias. The same word that the Jewish SEAL Team 6 used when they were guarding the stone where Jesus was, past tense. And when the angel rolled the stone away, it says they became like dead men because of megaphobias. So mega fear falls upon these people. Don't you think you'd repent at this point in your life? It's obvious they understood the first part of this, that these men that were prophesying God's word to them were dead. We know they understood it because all of a sudden they're partying. Yoo-hoo! We got rid of them. Yay, we win. But how come they don't understand the second part? How come they don't understand that our God is bigger than their God? How come they don't? Isn't that crazy? They understand the first part. Let's party. But he comes back to, they come back to life. They don't get it. You know, as I was thinking about that, I am so thankful that God has chosen me. And I'm able to understand as he reveals his plans and desires to me. I mean, anyone else thankful that God has chosen you? Well, then make some noise. Oh, that is about as pathetic as it gets. (laughs) Woo! I mean, think about it. What if you weren't chosen? You would be watching this action. Anybody excited about being chosen? No, 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 wait. Make some noise. That was the original question and statement. I mean, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be these partying in front of the TV watching this whole scene unfold. You got to understand that. We got to understand what God has done for us if we're going to be a witness in these last days. It's critical. Yeah, I'm saved. I'm good. No, listen, the guy next to you isn't. The guy down the street's not. How many are born again in your school that you graduated with? Probably not many. Where would you be today if Jesus hadn't called you? Scary thought, isn't it? Well, no, not me, because I live at home with my mom and dad. What if they weren't called? What would your home be like? 
Man, that is crazy. And they heard a loud voice from heaven, verse 12, saying to them, come up here. And they, and, and they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw him. They saw him. Hey, come on up to the, the feast in heaven, prepared for those who have been doing my will. I mean, that's what you and I want to hear, right, team? Come on up here. Time to go home. Your time down there is done. That's what, I, I hope that's what we're living for. Hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I hope that's what we're looking for. Please notice who sees them disappear. Their enemy saw them. Let's review for just a minute. The people have been experiencing the truth of judgments of God with the hope that they would repent. They've seen the works that these two witnesses have been doing. They watched them tempor temporarily killed by the beast, but like all good Rocky Balboa movies, they see them come back, this case, back to life. They heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. I mean, they literally saw him go up into heaven. And people today, you've met him. Oh, no, okay, yeah, I understand the soul rapture. I'm just going to wait until the church raptures. Then I'm going to get right with God. No, you're not. I don't think so. I suggest to you that people are thinking that they are in for a rude awakening. Plus, Jesus already addressed that thinking. No, yeah, if I get left behind, I'll get it right then. I doubt it. Jesus already addressed that. These guys saw, Jesus, saw these guys resurrect. Jesus already addressed that last part of Luke chapter 16 as he's speaking about the rich man and Lazarus in Hades. He says, signs and wonders and resurrections of earthly men will not cause people to believe. The only thing that will cause people to believe is the calling of the Holy Ghost. No man comes to the Father unless they're called. We've got to pray, church. We've got to pray. Remember the story? The rich man's torment in Hades. He said to Abraham, hey, but if one goes to them from the dead, my remaining brother, brothers will repent. Jesus is telling, telling the truth here. But Abe said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rise from the dead. That's what's going on here, team. Great fear, but do they believe? In the same hour, the earth not worthy of God's two witnesses, there was a great magus earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Now, when you think about Jerusalem, it's not just the old city. You know the walled part? That's called the old city. It's not just that. Man, Jerusalem is building like crazy. So a tenth of Jerusalem fell in this earthquake. 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid. Emphobious. They're terribly frightened. The rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. But did they get saved? This reads, they were afraid and gave glory. But did they have a life-changing relationship to where they're born again? I don't know. I'm not there. But I will say this. We saw the Israelites on their way to the promised land. They were afraid and gave glory multiple times. And how many of them made it into the promised land? Two. The rest died out in the wilderness. Were you afraid just before you got saved? I wasn't. Well, I mean, I was. I mean, I had, had all my prison material in my car. I mean, if I got pulled over, I'm a goner. So I guess I was afraid about that. But when I threw it all over the dam, I wasn't afraid. 
when I drove down to the dam, all of a sudden I knew where to put all this stuff. I wasn't afraid. These guys are afraid. I mean, we can hope they turn to Jesus. I mean, only God knows what happens here, but. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. We're not done yet. The worst is yet to come. The grand finale is just around the corner. You ever go to these fireworks shows and uh, you watch them and, you know, it's been going on for a little bit. And you go, oh, wow, that was an awesome grand finale only to realize that wasn't the grand finale. There was something much grander. Anybody? Yeah, all of us do. Well, that's what God's saying here. No, that's not the grand finale. There's a lot more coming here. Second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. I'm going to finish where we started. We can start with measuring up, but I'd rather just start with the two witnesses. Being a faithful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ is not what you do. It's something you are, Christian. We had the apostles, the early church, Philip and, and, and Stephen. They were just guys serving food to Hellenistic widows. God took them and did great things. We have the two witnesses over here. There's us in the middle. We're in the middle here. The church, this is us. All of the church across the world, this is us in the middle. See, a person's life cannot be separated from his or her words. See, my life either serves to validate or nullify my words. In other words, I can't say and not do. A witness is what I am. It's not what I do. This morning, maybe you're not a witness of Jesus today. Maybe someone conned you into going to breakfast afterwards if you'd come to church. But uh, that's not true. The Holy Spirit called you here today. And he wants you to turn to Jesus Christ as the, and, and, be, and allow him to become the Lord and Savior of your life. You just got to turn to him. For us, though, who are believers... For you and I who are a witness of Jesus in our everyday life, what does that life say about your faith on a daily basis? What does it say? How do people read it? Are you kind and caring to the numerous people you cross each day on a daily basis? Are you gentle and loving to your family? Are you charitable to the needs of the people around you? Do you control your temper? Are you faithful to your spouse? Are you faithful to your beliefs? See, that's all in not what I do, it's who I am. I mean, that's our witness team. People are watching. And when you mix truth into that witness... People will see and hear Jesus in you and by your life. God did it with the early church. God did it with the two witnesses here at the end of the age. He wants to do it to you and I in the middle. We're just going to have to die and ask for the power, Jesus said. 
and watch them live through us. Anyone that seeks to save their life, Jesus says, will lose it for all of eternity. But if anyone loses their life for my sake, they'll gain it. We don't want to keep them. We've got to give it away. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives.